And let's look at verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. Let's read them together. The Word of God says, For as it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, And every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And let's pray. Lord, we look at these sobering scriptures with interest, with awe, and with much humility. And we pray that you'd help us this morning to better understand this accounting and some principles that will help us live in such a way that would bring you honor and glory and us eternal blessing. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. What a powerful portion of scripture. Romans 14, verse 12, that's a good one for us to memorize. So then, every one of us <coughs> shall give account of himself to God. Uh, every person who's ever breathed the breath of life is going to give an account to God. There's going to come a time when you, when your family, your loved ones, your neighbors, your friends, your enemies are all going to stand alone before God and have to give an account. And that ought to put some trepidation in you. That ought to put the fear of the Lord in you. And we ought to prepare for that day. We ought to live in such a way that says, I realize I'm going to stand before God someday. You ever heard somebody say that? I'm going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God. And the Bible says we're going to give an account of himself to God. Now we know the lost are going to give an account to themselves at what's called the great white throne judgment. Only lost people will be there, people who never accepted Jesus. It's basically a sentencing judgment. They're, they're already guilty. It's just a final pronouncement of their guilt and the eternal punishment. That's for the ungodly, those that never accepted Christ. Every Christian will stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. These are people who are already in heaven their eternal destiny in heaven is already sealed and firm because they did trust Jesus as their Savior and receive forgiveness of sins. This is a rewarding judgment. It's a time where we're going to see what we could have done, and that's going to be compared to what we actually accomplished, and we're going to receive gain for what we did, and we're going to suffer loss when we realize what we could have done. And so that's a very sobering moment as well. It's not for our soul, but it is for eternal rewards. And then we're going to take whatever rewards we get, and that will be an, an eternal acknowledgement of our love for Christ, where we'll have opportunities to cast our crowns before Christ in, in uh, admiration and worship for Him. Now what's interesting is this, these two verses are found in the middle of a context about not judging one another. And we're not going to go too deeply into that, although I think this year we are going to talk about that. One of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible is judge not, that you be not judged. A lot of people think that means don't say anything about my sin. 
that's not what judge not means, right? A matter of fact, the Bible says that the Lord is known by his judgment. God judges, and we are supposed to have discernment. The Bible tells us not to judge, but it also tells us to judge righteous judgment. So we have to learn what that means and how to balance that. But basically, this is an idea not to, not to judge our brother in the fact that we are setting ourselves up and we're going to condemn them. We're going to condemn their sin when we don't acknowledge our own. We're going to condemn their motives when we don't know their motives. And God is saying, here, look, you're so focused on judging everybody else, you got to realize you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged. And so we, we take this idea on the beginning of our stewardship month, and we realize we're going to be judged. How in the world can we live in this life and think, I want to take care of myself and make sure that I'm ready for the judgment? Now, life is endlessly complex, and everybody's circumstances are different. It's easy to get lost in the weeds when you're trying to, to figure everything out and do everything right. But the Bible has given us five areas where if we pay attention to these five areas, basically every other area in our lives can fit in five containers. And this morning, I'm going to remind you of those containers. We talk about this every three or four years. We talk about this explicitly. Uh, we talk about it indirectly often. But this morning, I want to give you these five areas of stewardship. For some of you, it will be review. For some of you, it might be the first time that you've considered some of these things. But I want to give them to you today. And, and this knowledge will simplify our approach to stewardship. Because I don't have to control everything in my life. I don't have to pay attention to every detail. That's impossible. But if I can pay attention to the most important things, then that gives me a plan of what to do. And so we're going to talk about five areas. And then if we wanted to go deeper, we won't today. You could look underneath each of these five headings. You would find a list of other things that are truly important. But I find knowing these five really give us a framework through which to see the world. And so I want to give you five areas of stewardship this morning and make some comments about each one. Uh, and I hope this will be a blessing, and I know it will be if you take it and put it into practice. Number one, the first area of stewardship is time. Time. What is time? How would you define time? Time is more than just clicks on a clock. If we were to say right now, give us a definition of time, you might come up with a lot of definitions, but here is um, the most simple and profound definition. Time is life. Time is life. Time is simply the measurement of life. It's an accounting of our time on earth. So although God gave each one of us an eternal soul that's going to live forever somewhere, God gave us this earthly life with an expiration date. We have a beginning, and one day we will have an end. Our soul will live forever, but time on this planet is finite. It passes. 
once time is gone, can you ever get it back? Time is the most precious commodity on earth. How do we know that? Because nothing can buy time. Doesn't matter how much gold, silver, wealth you have, doesn't matter how smart you are, nobody can buy more time. You can't go back and say, I'd like to have that year back. I'd like to go back and have 10 years back. Making wise choices might be able to get you a healthier life going forward, but I believe that there's an expiration date on everybody's life, and I'm going to die when God wants me to die. By the way, that's freeing, right? It's freeing to know that I'm in the hands of the Lord. And unless I get really foolish and tempt him, he might say, all right, we'll let you come home early, and we'll have a nice stern talking to you. I'm in the hands of the Lord. And so time is vital. Now, some people see time as the enemy, but time's not your enemy any more than the speedometer in your car is the enemy. Now, some of you see the speedometer in your car as the enemy, right? But it's really not. It's just a measurement. It's just an accounting. Uh, I always forget how old I am. I think this year I turned 47. Somebody might, yes, thank you. Martha knows because me and her son are about the same age. I always forget how old I am. I turned 47. Now, for some of you, that seems terribly old. Oh, that's ancient. You know, the teenagers, the children, that's terrible. Uh, but for those of you that are in your 60s and 70s and 80s, I'm just a baby. Oh, he's just a baby. You got so much to learn. You got so much life to live. The time is relative. Do you ever notice if you're having a bad time, you're doing something that's difficult or, or not enjoyable, time seems to drag on. A minute can just seem to last forever. But if you're doing something that's enjoyable, time goes by very fast. Right? Time's relative. Now, our position in time never changes. You watch the clock. The clock never stops. And we've only got so much time. But how we experience time changes. Watch this. That means if I don't pay attention to time, if I lose track of time, which I'm very prone to, those of you that know me, uh, my, my family knows I have no inner clock, right? It's, I don't know what time it is. I look at clocks and then I forget. It's, I'm, I'm very project focused. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what I'm doing. I got things to accomplish. I'll forget to eat when I'm working. I'll forget to cook meals for the kids. And they're like, hey, Dad, are we going to eat tonight? Yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, I just don't have any clock. I have people remind me if I'm talking to you before church. I'll have the song leader sometimes start uh, just so I know that, oh, church is starting. I could talk to you for 15 minutes. And we've done that before. We're just like 10 after 10. Where's pastor? He's over there in the corner talking. And somebody ought to tell him church is starting. Now, that is a flaw on one hand especially for those of you that like you know every minute. My wife, if you ask her any time of day, and I used to do this, what time is it? 2.13 p.m. And she'd be right within like two minutes. She has an internal clock that is just always right on. So imagine her frustration with me at times in, in the past when uh, I didn't know. I remember one time she called me at work. She did a test to see if I really was. This is the beginning of our marriage to see how how little I knew what time it was. She called me at work one time and she said, honey, where are you? It's getting late. She said, it's, it's after five. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'll head right home. I'm packing my tools. 
And she goes, you really don't know, do you? I said, what? She said, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, you can't do that to me. I have no idea what time it is. I'm focused on what I'm doing. Now, the problem is sometimes I'm supposed to leave at 5, and I'm leaving it at 6. Uh, I can work all night because I don't know I'm working all night. You know, there, there are privileges to that. But watch this. That is a, an extreme accounting of how all of us can lose time. It's not uncommon in the Bible for someone to go sojourning somewhere. That means that they're going to take a short trip and they're gone for 20 years. It's not uncommon for someone to get backslidden, to get away from God. Now it's been five years, 10 years. What happens? Time is one of those things that if we don't pay attention to it, it flies away. And next thing you know, we're well down the road and there's no way to get any of it back. Satan is the master distractor. And he loves us to forget about time. You know what it's like. You get up in the morning, have breakfast, go to work, come home, do some stuff, have dinner, take care of the kids. You get in that rut. Next thing you know, kids are teenagers. What happened? Next thing you know, they've got kids. You know, if it's, it's like every 10 years, I'm, I'm like shocked about how long it's been that we've been here. We've been at this church. We're in our 20th year. It'll be our 20th. We'll finish our 20th year in May from being here. Like 20 years. How does that even happen? It's just unbelievable. And older people will tell you that the older you get, the faster time goes. And I'm experiencing that now. I just, I can't believe it's another Sunday. It's like, where did the week go? Now, this forces all of us to remember time is something we have to be good stewards of. We have to pay attention to the clicks on the clock, the days in the week, the weeks in the month, because if we don't, then we will lose opportunity and we'll make foolish decisions. We're going to stand before God one day, but if you're not careful, your life's over. I never did the things I wanted. I wasn't as faithful as I could have been. I, I didn't tell that person about Jesus. I, I didn't do the things that I knew I should be doing. And it's too late. So the Bible warns us about some things. Look at Psalm chapter 90. We'll give a, a verse or two, passage or two under each one of these headings, although we could go much deeper. Psalm chapter 90. Again, for some of you, this is review. For some of you, it may be the first time that you're hearing it. And that's okay. We all need to be reminded of these things. Psalm chapter 90. Look at verse 9. So all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a, as a tale that is told. See, our lives are just like a story. They pass away so fast. They're just like telling a story. You get involved in the story. All of a sudden, it's over. You ever read a good book and now it's over and you're mad it's over? You watch a good, a good film and now it's like, how can it be over? It's like it's been, it's been two hours and it didn't even seem like, you know, you listen to a good sermon. It's like, is it over already? You're with, you have a good meal with someone. It's like, how can it be this late? This is how life goes. And it's as a tale that is told. He goes on to say, 
the days of our life are three score years and ten. So that's the 70. The average is about 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be four score years or 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. So the older you get, you may live longer than 70, and hopefully you do. But it gets harder to live after 70, doesn't it? Your strength wanes. Your body hurts more. There's more difficulties. You get less sleep. You have more challenges. And the body says, even then, the Bible says, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We go into eternity. Hey, look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So we're encouraged. We have to number our days. We have to keep track of our time. Why? So that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Watch this. When you pay attention to the passage of time, you can apply biblical principles of life ensuring that your time is well spent. If you don't keep track of time, time just flies on. Look what the previous verse says. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Look at verse 9. For all, thy, all our days are passed away in thy wrath. This is the children of Israel. They were the most blessed nation on the planet. But how many years did they spend in disobedience to God? Generation after generation in disobedience to God. And the psalmist cries out through inspiration of the Spirit, What are we doing? Year after year, generation after generation, what's our problem? And the prayer is, Lord, teach us to number our days so we don't keep wasting lives. Pretty good prayer, isn't it? And so numbering our days is so important. Pay attention to the days. Having things like a, a schedule. Not just having a calendar, but having a schedule. What's your week going to look like? When are you going to fit in the important things? Now, work takes up, if you work outside the house, that takes up a lot of time. But watch it, men. We schedule work, but we don't schedule time to be a good father. So what happens? We excel at work, and we struggle at home. We have, to, we have to make time in every area. Moms, homemakers have to have some type of schedule or the house is chaos. You work outside the home, especially if you're both working outside the home. If you're not careful, you're just like ships passing in the night. You're just like roommates living together. When are you going to have time to build your relationship, to enjoy being married? All of these things. If we're not careful, if we don't take a numbering of our days and Set some intentionality into our schedule. And next thing you know, a lot of time's gone by and we're not where we wanted to be, right? So we got to be careful. Having something like a schedule, having something like a life plan. Where do you want to be next year? Where do you want to be six months from now? You know, some of you are making plans to accomplish some things this year, making plans for exercise and health and getting the finances in order and, and all of these things, and all that's wonderful, but if you don't put it on a, a schedule, then there's no time for it, right? James chapter 4, verse 13, 
says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Excuse me, verse 15. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Just a vapor. And so these verses warn us not to be presumptuous, not to take time for granted. Here's what I hear all the time. I'll do that. I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll get around to that. I'll, I'll get around to that. I got time. You know, I'll, I'll get serious about the Lord when... I'll get faithful to church when. You know, I'll work on my marriage later. I, I, you know, I've got time. The kids are young. We'll figure that out. Then all of a sudden, that time's gone, and nothing's changed, and now we're in trouble, right? So one of the areas of stewardship that we focus on is time. Do we have an accounting of our time and how we're going to use it wisely? The Bible says, redeeming the time. You can't go back and get more time that you've lost, but you can buy back your time by living wisely today. And so when I choose to live wisely today, it's like I can accomplish more in less time. And in some sense, that's like having more time. So the Bible says redeeming our time for the days are evil. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. All right. And so that's box number one is time. What's box number one? Time. Thank you. All right. Now, box number two is talent. Talent. God gives each one of us special abilities called talents. Now, talent is different than skill. Some of you are built, you're born with certain skills. They come naturally, but talents are honed skills or special skills that are given by God. The most obvious example of this is somebody that has a lot of athletic ability, but they don't have the discipline to become a good athlete. How many of you saw that video this week where that guy leapt over the, the judge's bench and attacked that judge? That guy probably could have been a pretty good athlete. He's in his 30s jumping like that, looked like Superman. But his life, if you read his rap sheet, his life's been an utter mess. You can listen to professional athletes today say, oh, the best athlete I ever saw was in the neighborhood, so-and-so. He's in jail today or he's dead. It's like musical ability. Some people can sit down at a piano and just play whatever they hear, but they don't have the discipline to practice. Some people can sing very well, but they don't have the discipline to, to uh, turn that talent into a skill. And so... Talent is this natural ability. Skill is the honed ability through discipline and practice. Well, God gives each one of us talents. He gives us these gifts, the Bible calls them, so that we can serve him. Look at Romans chapter 12. Just a reminder of these gifts. Two basic portions of Scripture talks about, talk about the gifts of, of the Holy Spirit. Once we get saved, salvation comes with a lot of benefits, but a few of these benefits are the Holy Spirit supercharges these abilities within us, and now that's like our superpower. You can do certain things better than other people because you have a supernatural gifting. And one of the goals is you find out how you're gifted and then you use your gifts and you excel. You use them in ministry. 
If you can find a career that's in line with your gifts, you'll not only enjoy your job, but you'll, you'll excel at it. If you hate your job, you're probably not working in an area where your gifts are. Uh, and it's hard. It's, it's difficult. But if you, if you have a career in, in the areas of your gifting, and you enjoy going to work, it's exciting, the sky's the limit, and so on. And so look at Romans chapter 12 and verse, verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, so each one of us have these special gifts, and they're grace gifts. They may be, they may be talents, things that we're naturally good at, but grace supercharges them, and we, we become excellent in these areas. All right, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, and that's not like telling the future, that would be like preaching today, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our mystery. ministering, that would be service, a serving people, or he that teacheth on teaching, some people are just excellent teachers, uh, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, some people are encouragers, they're natural encouragers, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, some people love to give, some people it's hard to give, others it's easy, they, they love it, uh, he that ruleth administration with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, and so on. So, you see, we have these dispositions, we have these gifts, and grace supercharges them so that we become a supernaturally enabled in these areas. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're talking about talents, using our talents for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And look at verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. So the same Spirit gives each one of us different gifts. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to what? To profit with all. So these gifts are given to us to profit with them. Now, obviously, it's spiritual profiting to do more for the kingdom of God. And if you're not using your gifts for the kingdom of God, it's hurting the church, it's hurting the cause of Christ, and it's not benefiting you eternally. But also to profit to take care of your family. Again, using your gifts in a special way to take care of your family makes work uh, enjoyable and effective. Look at verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, that's not the charismatic idea of, of knowing the future or pulling some thought out of the air. We don't have time to develop that. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Some people just seem to have an extreme amount of faith where you might be struggling to believe God and not someone else is like, God's going to do it. You're like, how? You know, and it's like this. Sometimes it's frustrating watching someone with extreme faith or someone who's really an encourager and they're seeing the positive side and you're like this isn't we're all gonna die you know and they're like we're gonna be okay it's that those are their gifts to another spirit uh, the faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit that's not talking about healing someone by laying hands on them it's talking about you ever talk to someone they just have a healing presence they have healing words you get around them and it's like you just feel better after being around them. The healing of the heart, the healing of the soul. 
Look at verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. And of course, God's still doing miracles today. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. That's not talking in an unknown tongue. That's not me getting up here. La, 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 la. Here's what God said. God said he's supposed to give me more money. That's, that's, not, that's not what it's talking about. Some people are supernaturally gifted in languages that they learn a lot of languages. I know people that on the mission field, they pick up languages like that. There's other people that they struggle for years to learn a language. What if God gives you the supernatural ability to just learn it, and then not just to learn it, but to translate it and to have deep understanding of it? These are spiritual gifts. That's the interpretation of tongues. Some people can speak it. Some people can translate it. They have such a deep understanding that they can translate it and go further. Uh, verse 11, but all these that worketh, all these worketh that one and that selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So the Holy Spirit, when you got saved, God at least gave you one gift. And for most people, he gives you more than one. Some people have a lot of gifts. Some people have a few, but everybody has at least one. And we're going to give an account for how we've used our gifts. Right? So we have these categories, these areas of stewardship. The first area of stewardship is what? Time. Time. Thank you. The first area of stewardship is what? Time. Time. The second area of stewardship is? Talents. Talents. Good. Quickly. The third area of stewardship, look at Matthew chapter 6. We'll go through these last ones more quickly. Matthew chapter 6, the third area is treasure. Treasure. This is the one that gets talked about most. We'll just touch on it. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19, verses 19 through 21. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Why? Verse 21, read it with me. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So God has given us this tool called treasure, called money. Now, today it's paper money and numbers on spreadsheets. For much of world history, it was physical things like lands, uh, livestock, gold, silver. Salt at one time was more expensive than gold. And so different areas, different times, uh, things would become very valuable. Uh, and treasure, being a good steward. So when most people think of stewardship, they think of money. And it's an important one. It's not the only one, but it's an important one. Why? Because our money is a window into our heart. We could tell what's, a, what's important to every person in the room if we were to look at how you spend your money. As the Bible says, you, where you put your money, your heart follows. And then the, the next step's also true. Where your heart is, your money follows. Where your money goes, your heart follows. Where your heart is, your money follows. And so on. And so people get wrapped up in this thing where they, they get in these cycles of spending money on what's important to them. But the Bible says in order to be a good steward, I can change my values and I can change my heart by how I spend my money. So if I start investing in something that I know I should care about but I don't, 
If I start investing in it, the Bible says my heart will follow. And now I'll care about it, right? This thing of money, uh, how do we invest treasures in heaven? But through the Lord's work, tithes, offerings, uh, world missions, church planning, love's offerings, spiritual project, alms. Uh, money in this world is finite. Money invested in the work of God lasts forever. That's what these verses are telling us. Don't, don't invest money down here. Invest money into heaven uh, and, and be wise with your money. That doesn't mean don't invest down here. Obviously, if you're doing it wisely, but even if you're investing down here, you're, you're using that as a way to invest into eternity. Uh, the Bible talks about this over and over, about the importance of labor. But Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, labor not to be rich. That's not a good goal. Why I work hard so I can be rich? That's not a good goal. It's not a good reason. You ought to attach some spiritual reason to that. And God will bless it. God gives warnings to the rich. If you have been blessed financially, wonderful, but don't be generous. Or, or don't, yeah, be generous. Don't be stingy. Uh, don't, don't try to hoard it into this life alone. Be generous and help take care of the needs of others. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but the living God. But God's admonition to people, if you have money, if you're doing well financially, don't trust in those riches. Trust in God and thank God for the wealth you have and seek God about how to use it. And so we have these things. Let me give you a quick financial plan for those who are struggling. Everybody is, a lot of people I know are struggling. Let me give you a quick financial plan, a blueprint for your money. First thing you need to do is save $1,000 in an emergency fund. Save $1,000 in an emergency fund. Most families in America would be thrown into financial chaos with a bill of over $500. One of the first things we have to do is save up a little money so that we have some room in case something happens. You need your car to go to work. Your car's broke down. It's going to cost $400. Where's it going? What's going to happen? Well, I'll throw it on a card. Eventually, your cards are maxed out. And so this financial fund, save $1,000 in an emergency fund. Number two, pay off all credit cards. It doesn't make sense to try to save money when you're getting 5% in savings, but you're paying 21% in interest. Pay those things off. And then focus on, but you need an emergency fund first. Get your emergency fund. Then focus on paying off your credit cards. Learn to stop using credit, then buy. Pay off all debt except for your mortgage. Save three to six months of your family budget. Now, for some of us, this sounds like a, this is a fairy tale. But what if you lost your job? It's a good idea to have three months in savings so that you have some time. What if you got terribly hurt? And you couldn't work for a while. And then eventually pay off the mortgage, save for retirement. Just some ideas. You might have some different thoughts. And if you're in good shape, follow what plan you're doing. But if you're in trouble, this is a good plan for you uh, to focus on. We could dedicate a chapter. And then, of course, have a budget. If you don't know where your money's going, you're wasting it. I'll just tell you. If you don't have a budget, you're wasting money. And that's for me. That's for you. Hard to do. We have budget forms. I'll give you one. 
It'll take you a, a month or two to figure out exactly where you're spending. For most people, it's shocking. And then you figure out where you're at, you figure out where adjustments need to be made, and you can start living within your means, and God can bless. But this idea of treasure. So we have these categories. We have time. What's number one? Time. Number two is talent. Number three is treasure. These last two are the ones that people often overlook. And number four is the stewardship of our testimony. The stewardship of our testimony. Just like we only have one life, we only have one testimony. Your testimony is your reputation. Your testimony is what people think of when they think of you or when they see you. Now think of it this way. Your testimony is a form of currency. If people don't trust you, you don't have a lot of impact in their lives. If you have a bad testimony, if they think you're going to take advantage of them, if, if they think that you're doing wrong things, if they think that you're selfish, it limits the impact you can have in people's lives. It limits your opportunities. Just a quick example, social media has changed the game. A lot of employers now in certain industries will go back and look at your social media history when they're trying to hire somebody. That means your digital testimony can change the opportunities you have to even get a job. Same thing in the community. What do people in the community think about you? What do people in the church think of you? Example, in order to be a deacon in a church, you have to have a good testimony of those that are within the church. Oh, that man's honest. He's faithful. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He knows the Word of God. If you don't have a good testimony, that opportunity is not available to you. And so the list goes on and on. Your testimony is worth more than money because money can't buy it. That's also one reason why Satan works so hard to destroy your testimony. Look, you've got enemies that are going to try to make you look bad. Don't give them any help, right? Uh, the Bible talks about this thing being blameless. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 15. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? That's just one, two things to not do in a list of many. Why? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and what? Harmless. Harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's our testimony. God's saying here, listen, don't do certain things because it damages your testimony. But if you can have a testimony of blameless, what does blameless means irreproachable. It doesn't mean that people can't blame you. It means that when they cast an accusation at you or an aspersion, it doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes people come to me and say, well, so-and-so this and so-and-so that, and I'll say, that just doesn't sound like so-and-so. You know, we'll look into it, but that doesn't sound like so-and-so. That, that's blameless. It doesn't sound like something they would do. The Bible says, be blameless, be harmless, 
sons of God. That should be our testimony. We're a child of God. We're trying to live like Jesus. And then it says, when we have a good testimony, so we can shine as lights in the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine. If we don't have a good testimony, then our light doesn't shine as it should. Look at... I'll just read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, we should have the testimony of Christ. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you should be sincere. Nobody expects you to be perfect. Don't expect me to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. But we can expect each other to be sincere. All right, so we've got these buckets. As we finish, first bucket is time. Second bucket is Third bucket is? Fourth bucket is? Last bucket is truth. Is truth. God's people in every generation are the stewards of the truth. So God's promise that every generation will have access to the truth, but who is going to promote that truth? Who's going to protect that truth? By the way, what's truth? John 17, 17, thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. What is truth? Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Some people don't like the truth. Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Some people don't want to hear the truth. But the only The only stewards of the truth in this generation are God's people. The stewards of the truth in South Kingstown, Curtis Corner Baptist Church. Look at the final verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Did you know people need to be taught how to behave in the house of God? Yeah. Don't talk. Don't mess around. Don't be distractive. Don't get up and go to the bathroom every five minutes. All these things. You got to be taught how to obey in the house of God. Sit up straight and tall. Listen. Sing when we sing. Pray when we pray. Listen to the preaching. All those types of things. But notice what it says about the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Read the next with me. The pillar and ground of the truth. The church of God is the pillar and ground of, of the truth in every generation and in each community. If Curtis Corner Baptist Church stops preaching the truth, now we're not good stewards of the truth. We talked about this last week. Sometimes we have to say things people don't want to hear. But we've got to be good stewards of the truth. You know the truth. We talked on vision night. One of our goals this year is to do what we know to do. Imagine how our lives would change if we just did what we knew to do. Don't say, I know I shouldn't, but, and then do it. Don't say, I know I should, but, and then don't do it. Say, I know I shouldn't. So I won't. I know I should, 
So I will. If each one of us just took the knowledge we had and were good stewards of the truth in our own lives, imagine how much better our lives and circle would be. And in our community, we have to speak the truth. I had a conversation with someone recently, and they asked a question that I get asked often. What do you think the Bible says about homosexuality? And this was a younger person, a teenager, and I, I told them what I often say. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And God says that that's not how he created us. It's not God's plan, and you're never going to find what you're looking for in that lifestyle. But then I said, I realize that someone your age, it's probably weird for you to hear someone say this. It's easy for you to say, that's weird, that's crazy, nobody, because all you ever hear is, is that this is okay. God says it's not okay. We have to be stewards of the truth. We have to say things like, I don't know what you've heard, but in the beginning God made them male and female. That's what God said. Well, I, I think this, I think that. Well, I understand where you're coming from, but here's what God said. And it's non-negotiable. He still loves you. But God said no. If we don't do that, then we fail to be stewards of the truth. And some of you are here because we're a church that tries to be good stewards of the truth. And there's some people that aren't here because we try to be good stewards of the truth. But regardless of whether people like it or don't like it, God says, I've given you the truth. I need you to take care of it in your generation. The Bible says we're stewards of the manifold grace of God. All kinds of things. The truth. We're stewards of these truths. Are we going to pass them on to others? Are we going to let them be trampled in the street and forgotten? Five areas as we finish. Area number one is time. time. Area number two. Yeah. Area number three. Treasure. Area number four. Yeah. Area number five. You all get a gold star. And uh, if I was rich, I'd buy you a gift. But um, just take my thanks. And so if we focus on these five areas, it simplifies the complexity of life into these five funnels, and now it makes being a good steward manageable. And let's focus on that this week. Amen? Father, help us as we take these things into account and give us good insight, good wisdom. I appreciate so much these people's dedication to come to church today in the midst of circumstances that would give them reason uh, not to. I pray for those who wish they could be here but generally couldn't make it. Lord, help us all to be good stewards and pay attention to these five areas, time, talent, truth, testimony, time, talent, treasure, testimony, truth. Lord, please. Their heads about eyes are closed. I wonder if, of course, if there's anybody here that's not saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Most everybody that's here today would have a testimony of Christ. I encourage you this month, all month long, to take stock of your life. Where are you? What are you doing right? What needs to be improved? 
Take a look at these five areas. Write a plan. Write things out. Get a budget. Get a schedule. Ask for help if you need it. Make sure your testimony is right. Are you being a good steward of God's truth? Are you giving out the gospel? That's one way we are steward of God's truth. How can we know how to go to heaven? We never tell anybody. That's like the worst steward ever. So we've got all these things that we have to take care of because one of these days we're going to stand before God. 